This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everybody. Nice to see the sun and uh, the temperature starting to creep up for a change. Well, tensions are boiling over and the stakes couldn't be higher as one of the most lucrative industries in the province remains on hold amid the ongoing dispute over crab prices. The province's approximately 5,000 plant workers, meanwhile, are being left without a source of income and businesses and other workers who support the industry are idle. Markets are low and the FFAW and ASP can't seem to find an agreeable solution. Last night, there were reports of boats blocking some harvesters from getting out on the water in places like Port de Grave and Twillingate. The FFAW last night issued a release following a long day of negotiations with the ASP that prompted a response from an exasperated Jeff Loader of the ASP on VOCM Open Line today, who indicated there was no counterproposal and no offer was on the table. Well, that prompted the FFAW to issue another clarification on the situation. Here to discuss the latest information is... FFAW President Greg Pretty. Hello, Greg. Hi, Linda. How are you? I'm good. I'd like to say, how are you? But uh, you're deep into it. What's going on? Uh, good question. We spent uh, a considerable amount of time uh, in bargaining with our uh, CREB uh, bargaining committee over the last couple of days. And uh, yesterday, we had uh, an agreement uh, would ask, despite what they say, uh, and we took that agreement uh, to the uh, crab chairs last night, and spent uh, I spent two hours on the phone with the with the committee, uh, going through each fleet, uh, explaining the deal, and I I, I was uh, flabbergasted this morning uh, in a meeting, and somebody texted me and said they pulled the offer off the table, and. Uh, they were absolutely incredible. And, and then I read what they put out there. And what they put out there, of course, is a direct attack on the leadership of the union, the, the crab bargaining committee, and the crab chairs and all the harvesters. Uh, it was uh, totally uncalled for. I, I expect, you know, to be tough bargaining, but uh, this, this sinks to a, to a new level. So they, they have effectively then, uh, pulled the plug on the crab fishery for this year. And uh, they need, and as I'm saying to the province, they need, uh, you know, to, to wake up and get back to the table and get this thing sorted out. We were prepared, you know, we were in the process of ratifying that deal, and now there's no deal there. So it's, a, it's an incredible move, but I understand uh, the attack uh, on the, uh, on the on the union, on, they're not you know that's not something they haven't done in the past, but but the process it is this is not about me and Jeff Loader, it's about the people of this province who've gone now uh, for for six weeks, most a lot of people without income, they've gone six weeks and uh, a lot of people had faith that we could do this, and and they pulled the plug on us. So I, I'm very concerned where it's going. I, I really can't explain what their antics are. It seems as if uh, the deal that uh, was struck yesterday, he couldn't ratify it. Uh, he couldn't uh, bind the companies to it. So he lashes out at us. But but nonetheless, 
it's not about us. It's not about me or, or, or loader. We need to get uh, that money and more money, if we can, back on the table to get this uh, fishery going. What kind of difficulty does this put you and your membership in? Well, we'll see over the next couple of days how much difficulty we're in. Uh, but let me let me tell you, uh, it, it just it, it extremely disappoints uh, people who are not even involved with the crab. We had calls today from people who had from the general public to say to say to, to remind me that these fish merchants have a reputation and is not for being kind uh, to people, and they're doing what fish merchants do, and that that's true. But it, it, I can tell you right now, it places uh, the harvesters, plant workers, industry workers in, in a very poor situation. It, it, it puts them in a very tense situation uh, where people, you know, Linda, we got 7,500 plus, plus plant workers out there, people. Every one of those people have uh, different financial uh, situations. So, you know, it's, it, has, it is pushing people. And uh, we need to get it fixed. And by the way, you know, it can be fixed. It's, it's not something that can't be fixed. I thought we were, were, we were close yesterday. It wasn't an ideal uh, situation or, or, or a proposal, but it was something that could have got us uh, up and going. But right now, what they've done is actually they've re-entrenched uh, the feelings uh, that they're not going to go for 220. And, you know, that's a... Uh, you got to ask what was in their heads, what was in the, the heads of, of those companies when they decided to pull that off the table because it's, it's done nothing to enhance uh, the future of this fishery. And, and I'll say this because it's been said to me all day. You know, uh, Greg, they're saying they are attacking the Newfoundland fishery. They're attacking the harvesters. They're attacking plant workers when they do, when they pull foolish stunts like this. So, you know, uh, my, my uh, reaction is that, um, once again, uh, they need, they need, if they don't have anybody who can uh, negotiate an agreement or the authority to negotiate an agreement, they should hire one and, and send them over, send him or her over to us, and let's get this thing going. But uh, I, I'm telling you, it's, uh, this is going to boil over, uh, and... Uh, it's something that shouldn't happen uh, because there should be enough goodwill to get this going. But uh, yesterday, they just they just pulled the plug on the whole thing. Or today, sorry. So uh, we know the difficulty facing plant workers who haven't been able to uh, get a few hours yet so far this season. But what about harvesters themselves? I know everybody is in a different circumstance, uh, but some harvesters, very anxious to get out. They're going to lose everything if they don't start making some income. And I understand that some harvesters did, in fact, try to go out yesterday and were blocked. I mean, what's this going to do? It's going to pit member against member. Well, you know, they're doing that. Uh, there's no question about that. I mean, what they did today uh, has further, uh, as you say, pitted uh, harvester against harvester. I mean, I guess that's their game here. I mean, it's an attack on the union. It's an attack on the industry. Um, so they have to, they get, they, they're going to have to put their thinking hats on and, and get back uh, to the table to get this thing, fish, uh, this fishery going. You know, the, these harvesters are not going away. The messaging here which I've been consistent since the FOS price came down, people are going to go bankrupt, right? I guess it's only now people are starting to focus on this. But people will disappear. And to your point of your your question is, 
Canada has a, a great uh, uh, history and tradition of helping uh, prime producers, and the prime producer being a, a fish harvester. All that new dollars coming into the country. Well, we're in tough shape now because of uh, these markets. And and if we, you know, we're asking for, uh, the feds for help on these on these issues. So we're hoping to put uh, some plans in place. Even if we got the fishery going, there's people going to be uh, affected by by what's happened this year. So you know, we're looking at that too. But you're quite right. People will need assistance on the uh, plant worker side. On the plant worker side, we've gone to the uh, the feds and we've met with the Atlantic, some of the members of the Atlantic Liberal Caucus. And uh, we've asked them to, to pitch it, to get in there and start uh, lobbying to have EI extensions. We're, we're looking at that. And uh, we're going to get back to it shortly. But, you know, it's, uh, it, it's quite a mess. And uh, we need to get back fishing. And we need to get the, uh, the crab into the planks. That's, that's where we are. And, you know, I, I'll say I'll, what I always say. I'm available now. We can have our crew uh, back, we can have our bargaining uh, committee back if, in fact, there's an intent there to to do this uh, in a sensible, uh, a sensible manner. Um, I know we're focused right now on just getting this particular fishery back off the ground, but what about the future of the fishery? Is there a concern at this stage of the game that we could lose our markets and this could have damaging effects years down the road? I, I think I think that's uh, pretty accurate. Uh, these crab companies have long-term relationships with their customers in the United States and other countries, and I'm sure. Uh, but you know, they have uh, they have relationships, so uh, we are concerned uh, overall because it's uh, it's it's our future we're talking about, as I spoke about earlier. This is the future of the fishery that it's at stake here now. You know, I spent uh, myself in the committee and. Uh, spent a couple of months trying to get a formula in here, a pricing formula on crab, which would have taken away all this pain uh, and actually set ourselves up for success in future years, similar to what we do in other species. But, uh, you know, when push came to shove, you know, as a natural uh, matter of course, they couldn't come up with enough money to make it viable. So I haven't forgotten that, and uh, I think some... I don't think the premier's forgotten that either, and I think that's something we're going to have to work on to ensure that this, the largest crab fishery on the planet is conducted in an orderly fashion. And that is the wish of all of our members, right through. But I'm telling you, when you got, uh, when you got people at the table who, who know what the problem is and, and, and just uh, ignore it, uh, that's, a, that's a problem that, that requires fixing. So what do you make of this um, uh, statement uh, from Jeff Loader saying there was no um, agreement on the table, no no um, agreement was made? Uh, that's not true. That's simply not true. And, I, you know, I don't want to play uh, patty cake with him uh, again. It's not about me and him. It's about uh, moving forward and getting getting an agreement. But I can tell you, uh, we had there was 15 people at the table. Um, we had a deal that we took out, and try and we were actually trying to ratify it today, but he pulled the plug on it. So uh, that's it. That's all I'm going to say on that. It was uh, we had a deal. How does this get fixed now? Well, how does it get fixed? I, as, I, as I've been saying, we need to get back uh, to bargaining. Uh, we need. 
uh, we may need uh, an intervention here from uh, the province uh, with respect to um, uh, the Department of Labour and the conciliator. Uh, I think we need to, to get that uh, in place and we need to do it quickly. I, I don't think we can wait uh, a week or until you know the parties get ready. I'm ready. We're ready. And uh, let's get cracking at it. And by the way, you know, I mean, if you seriously, as somebody who collectives with a lot of collective bargaining, right? And in this day and age, uh, it's not too much to send a, an offer across. Uh, either party can do that, has the capability of doing this. But to come out and say, eh, no, there's no deal. We didn't have a deal. I mean, yes, uh, that's pretty disingenuous for starters. But I, I understand they're a tech on the leadership and and the harvesters of this union. There's no question about that. Both the ASP and the FFAW saw changes in leadership in recent months. And, of course, I recall the big news conference saying that, you know, both sides were hoping to make this cooperative approach towards the fisheries. What happened? Well, I guess what happened is uh, ultimately uh, those same old feelings crept in here. And, uh, you know, they don't. They know, all those processors know what it'll take to start this fishery, okay? Let's, let's be very frank, huh? They all know, every one of them, there was four of them at the table yesterday. Uh, well, no, sorry, they went to the table in the hotel. Um, there was four major companies there yesterday. Every single one of them know what it takes to get this fishery going. We made three passes to get above 220, and I, we passed it three times, and three times they said no. So... But we did, we did land down a series of thresholds that would spit out money if, in fact, the market uh, rose in, in the next uh, little while. And we saw that as, as very positive because you didn't have to wait until the market got to six bucks to do a reconsideration. As the market rose, harvesters would get money. So that's that's what people were voting on today. That was positive. No no question about it. But, you know, the pull the pull the, the offer during the during the vote is uh you know, I, I haven't seen it before and uh but it just smacks of uh old old uh, old fish merchant tactics. Um uh let's uh, let's try to split them. Let's try to divide them. And uh and let's get cracking on it. And by the way, I'll tell you this. I'm not sharing this one with you and, and with your audience. While we were at the table yesterday, bargaining in good faith to get this thing put to, put to bed, we had processors calling harvesters to, to leave the docks and leave the ports and go fishing. So that's, that's the kind of good faith that we're operating in. Um, so uh, there it is. That's what. That's the atmosphere. Uh, so it's tough to get stuff done when when that's on the go. When you got one crowd at the table uh, uh, feigning uh, 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 bargaining, and another crowd behind the scenes trying to break up the uh, break the union on the other side. So, but that's it. That's it. We'll uh, we'll deal with it. Are you suggesting that there was a, an assumption then on uh, the part of some of these uh, processors that a deal had been reached? Call it what you want, and I, I don't know. There's an assumption. I think it was just an effort to, to bluff people and, and get them get them out on the water. So. And what about the harvesters who say, you know, I, I, I gotta go. I mean, what do you say to them? And what do you say well, to the harvesters who say you're not going anywhere? Well, 
I understand. I understand uh, both sides of it. I mean, they're our members, but we don't have a deal here. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what the danger is. You know, if, for example, if a vessel went out today uh, on their FOS, under the current system, they'd be, they'd get two twenty a pound, okay, as as a minimum price. Uh, but that price, the market's actually below that. And part of the initial deal, I think that the, the premier helped broker a week or so ago, was that if they would, the, the companies would maintain that two twenty for the duration of the season. I think you might remember that one. Well, that's that's not there. So if they fish tomorrow and go back for another trip next week, ASP has the right to go to to the uh, panel for uh, for reconsideration. In which case, uh, you know, odds are uh, the price would be down as low as a buck eighty-five, buck ninety. So that's a problem. That's a major problem. So what we're we're saying is, you know, you have to have an agreement uh, here on the future of this current uh, season, and that needs to be signed off so that you're protected on uh, on on your uh, money per pound and any other uh, issues that we can negotiate, particularly uh, once the earner barry starts to increase and we can capture some of that rising market. And earner barry being, you know, Brent crude, so to speak, of the fishery. A good way to put it, yeah. <laughs> so that's to speak, the, uh, for anybody who yeah, doesn't understand, yeah. Um, the pricing temple, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Greg, what now? Well, what now? Here I am. I'm, I'm ready to roll. Uh, we can get our crew in. We're going to get this thing up and going. But, uh, you know, you're going to have the, they're going to have to take that chip off their shoulder and realize what I said, you know, <laughs> weeks and weeks ago. It's going to take money to put this together. And uh, and let's get at it, and and do it, and uh, stop the childishness, uh, and uh, let's get at the table uh, and put this together and get a deal, and get the fishery and get the people back to work. Greg Pretty, I appreciate your time this afternoon. Keep us up to date. Thanks. Thank you so much. All, All right. right. Bye-bye. Uh, Greg Pretty there from the FFAW. When we come back after the break, we'll hear what was said in the House of Assembly about all of this. And we're going to hear from uh, Executive Director of the ASP, Jeff Loader, as well, coming up right after this. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Of course, just before the break, you heard from FFAW President Greg Pretty regarding the impasse in reaching a deal to get the crab fish going, as you would expect, being one of the most pressing issues facing the province on a socioeconomic level, the matter came up for discussion once again in the House of Assembly this afternoon. Speaker, another day has passed, boats are still tied up at wharves, plant workers are at home without a source of income, and businesses are suffering. Premier, what are you going to do to support the people who rely on this industry to make a living? The Honourable the Minister of Fisheries, Forestry and Agriculture. Thank you, Speaker, and I guess I could almost say, like, welcome to my world. This is the revolving and evolving door every single day. Another offer presented, another offer rejected, Mr. Speaker. We ask ASP and FFAW to come to the table, to bring something to the table that can put this to an end. They are the people who put this in place. I listened to the the, the ASP, uh, Jeff Lawler, on the open line earlier today. 
from what he's saying, the ball now lies in FFAW's court to put a presentation forward. Uh, reports in the media says that FFAW is waiting on ASP, but according to Jeff, what I heard uh, about 12 o'clock today, is they are waiting for the FFAW to bring something forward. The Honourable the Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Speaker. And again, I'll reiterate what I've said for the last number of days. We need the, the Premier to show leadership here and take the lead on this ball. The longer the boats stay tied up, the more it hurts communities across our province, all while the pr Premier is nowhere to be found. Can the government update this House on EI extensions and support for workers and businesses who rely on the industry? The Honourable the Minister of Environment, Climate Change and Labour. Yes, thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I thank the Honourable Member for the question. It's an important thing to get both parties back to the table. We've had a mediator engaged from the beginning. I encourage both parties, if they have offers that they want to deal with, let's get the mediator involved. We're more than happy to have that person come to the table, help to get a deal put to the bed so we can get the fishing boats on the water and get the fish out of the water. The Honourable the Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Speaker. And what's needed here is an EI extension to at least get people to the next level so they have some sustainability while they wait for this industry to get back up and running. Speaker, losing the snow crab fishery this year will have a major impact on the economic outlook. According to Stats Canada, Newfoundland and Labrador was the only province to drop in economic growth in 2022. Can the Deputy Premier tell us how devastating the loss of the crab fishery will be on our economy? The Honourable the Deputy Premier. I will say to the member opposite that while we had a, a slight dip in GDP last year due to the changes in, uh, in oil and gas extraction, we certainly did have a very strong and positive growth, not only in our population, not only in, our, in, in uh, retail sales, not only in home, ho housing sales, but also, I would say, in employment. So there are more measurements than just GDP. I will say to the member opposite that we are very concerned about the fishery. That's why the Premier is engaged. That's why the Minister is working very, very diligently. That's why the Minister of Labour is so engaged. You know, we all know how important the fishery is to this province. We want to get this solved, and we call on the parties to do so. The Honourable the Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Speaker, and I'll remind the Deputy Premier that this is a multi-billion dollar industry, and if it falters, it has an impact on every Newfoundlander and our Labradorian and our status economically in this world. So there you go, uh, the debate in the House of Assembly this afternoon regarding the crab fishery and the latest developments or non-developments, it's hard to say what it is exactly, um, over the last 24 hours or so. Any thoughts on that? You're welcome to give us a call. We're up to news time now with Noah Shepard. When we come back after the break, we're going to hear from the executive director of ASP, Jeff Loader. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we're back. Uh, Battle Royale, of course, has developed in the province's crab fishery, delayed by six weeks now in a dispute over the price set when the fishery was, was supposed to have started. In that period of time, the markets have dropped below 220 a pound set by the fish price setting panel. The FFAW indicated that an offer had been made that was being presented to its fish councils, but the ASP says... That's not so. I spoke with Jeff Loader, executive director of the ASP, just a short while ago. So, Jeff Loader, explain to us what was happening on uh, wharves in some parts of the province last night. I've been advised by a member of producers that uh, they have received a lot of requests for ice and bait and, uh, uh, and a commu communications regarding the desire to go fishing. 
multiple boats were iced up and bait and provided with bait and they attempted to leave to go start the season and they were met with intimidation uh, and their boats were blocked in in different uh, harbors and different areas in Newfoundland and that is behavior which is outside of the law in this province and uh, uh, the collective bargaining act uh, which clearly states uh, in the, F- the Fish Collective Bargaining Act itself that no individual harvester will take any action to to undermine the business activities or, or, or opportunity to go fishing by other harvesters. We are asking government to immediately step in and provide uh, uh, and take the, the necessary action uh, to provide uh, uh, security for the truckers, for uh, plant workers. Uh, and for harvesters that want to go fishing, and they have an obligation to ensure public safety. And uh, we're in a situation right now where there are intimidation and threats and other behaviors which are not acceptable in our society anymore. Is that a concern to you? It's, it's an extreme concern for our organization and our members. Producers employ 5,000 people in plants. They have relationships with businesses across these provinces. They need to be able to compete in global markets. They need a stable fishery, and it's time for the fishery to go. We don't tolerate that type of behavior in any other aspect of our society. And where it, is, uh, 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 where it occurs, action is taken. And uh, it needs to be dealt with, and it needs to be dealt with right now. What kind of an impact is this delay having on plant workers? This delay, and I, I have been stating this publicly for weeks, every day that goes by is another day where we're losing value, and it will impact everyone, from plant workers to uh, businesses associated with the industry, supply companies, trucking companies, and it will impact producers' ability to compete in the markets. Harvesting is occurring throughout Atlantic Canada at 225. They are now competing in the markets. And we are here with no fishery. And every day that goes by, as I've said publicly several times, introduces the possibility where we would like to fish later in the year, harvesters would like to fish later in the year, and producers would like to produce later in the year, but it introduces all kinds of other quality issues. And that means it's impacting potentially value and and so forth. And that's not in anybody's interest. How did we get here? Is it because the markets are not what they were? There's no question that there has been, you know, a significant, you know, and I think it's fair to describe it as an historic drop in crab prices over the last two years. The last two years were anomalies, though. There were various factors that drove the price of crab up, and they were, uh, uh, from a price perspective, you know, there was extremely high prices, which created, you know, uh, 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 situations where last year crab was being bought by producers under our system at between 650 and 750, depending on the time of the year, which right now uh, that product, some of which is still in warehouses to be sold, cannot be sold unless you're taking a significant economic loss. This year... There was a new process set up. Every request of the FFAW in terms of amending the price-setting panel process was accepted by government. Most of the recommendations of ASP were recommended. We went through the process, and it set a price based on where the market is. No other consideration. 
that's all is allowed to be presented the financial uh, uh, situation of both harvesters as well as uh, producers in light of where the market is going what's a fair uh, raw material price at the wharf uh, uh, on a go forward basis it's at a price the market has dropped a dollar since then and we've made multiple commitments not to seek a reconsideration despite the fact that our margins are gone because we care about plant workers. We need to maintain relationships. We need to maintain a workforce. Uh, at this moment, we are reaching the, the, uh, a critical moment where, uh, and this has been reported publicly for several days now, where we have businesses impacted, plant workers are very uh, uh, going to be impacted. Uh, it's just a very difficult situation, and we need to move past it and start a fishery. Uh, ASP will review any offer that comes from the FFAW. So it seems as though the 220 uh, per pound uh, and the the whole notion of trip limit limits are among the sticking points here. Explain the need for trip limits. So I, 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 I'm not under the, uh, under the understanding that trip limits are an issue uh, that cannot that that cannot be resolved. I'm under the understanding if we work together, we can address trip limits. There are trip limits as a part of conditions of license set by DFO. They've been there a long time, and they need to be updated. The season is shorter right today than it would have been if we had started a month ago. The importance of trip limits cannot be understated or overstated. Sorry, We need an orderly fishery. We cannot have a NASCAR race where everybody goes out and expects to catch all of their crab it has to respond to a processing capacity. It has to respond to, uh, 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 you know, the fact that we need order and stability to and, and properly send those signals to the market. And it has to be done in a fair way uh, across all the uh, all the, the uh, across the fleets. If we cannot work out a understanding on trip limits to put in either as conditions of life, license working with DFO or in the schedule to under the collective bargaining act then we will have to do it as individual producers, and uh, we will do so in the fairest way possible, recognizing there's small boats, there's larger boats, there's medium-sized boats, there's different quotas, and there's all kinds of unique circumstances across the province that need to be addressed. And I have stated many times, and in writing to the FFAW, that we would do that. So the clock is ticking. Uh, Can a solution be found? I uh, uh, will review... Any offer the FFAW sends to ASP and our members will review it. Uh, it's time for a real conversation about the reality we are facing and remove the noise and other things that are occurring, which unfortunately are undermining uh, uh, the fishery at this moment. Jeff Loader, I do appreciate your time. Keep us up to date. Thank you, Linda. You have a good day. So there you have it. We've heard from Greg Pretty. We've heard from Jeff Loader. Can a solution be found? It looks like both sides, um, you know, wanting to get this thing done. And yet, for some reason, a resolution to this date has not yet been found. Um, if you have any thoughts on that, you're welcome to give us a call. Well, the long, hard pandemic recovery process continues at Gander International. This is News Talk on VOCM. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM.
And we're back. Well, the continued difficulties facing the airline industry were outlined in succinct fashion this morning. During the Gander International Airport Authority's AGM, CEO Reg Wright didn't pull any punches in describing the challenges facing regional airports as a result of the slow and rocky return to airline travel. Here's some of what he had to say. Last year, as you would expect, was the year we'd sort of braced for. Uh, It was a difficult year where we had one foot still in the pandemic and one towing around to try to get some traction and move forward. It was, I believe, this week that the World Health Organization finally said that the global health emergency was over. So if you think back, and none of us really want to think back to pandemic-impacted years, but certainly the provincial government travel restrictions didn't drop, weren't drawn down until the end of February, and the federal government restrictions at the border weren't until the end of October. So there was still a sizable amount of impediments in terms of the recovery of travel. And if you can remember back to our beautiful summer last summer, there was an enormous amount of pent up demand for travel, which was sort of offset by, uh, you know, let's call it what it is, a lot of the chaos that people saw across the country as the travel ecosystem tried to recover and the passenger journey so certainly wasn't smooth. So those, those restrictions continue to impact performance. Um, the other big thing that happened in 2021 is that we received an infusion of almost $5 million and liquidity from the federal government to help us through the pandemic, which is really welcome and well-received. But of course, those things were all drawn down in 2022. So we don't really have that insulation. And I think it kind of laid bare the financial performance that we're gonna be reporting here today. Um, That money's great. And we knew when we got it, it would be needed to recover operating losses over the next couple of years. And that's precisely what it's done. So if you look at what's happened, the the ultimate barometer, we have seen recovery year over year, but the ultimate barometer is the pre-pandemic performance. And we made $4 million less than we did in 2019. There's no other way to paint it. That's that's what happened. So total revenues of $6.5 million, which were a 7% increase over the previous year, again, down from what we did 10.5 million pre-pandemic. So getting back there has been a problem. So there's no amount of fluffing the pillows that you're in with finance statements that can be done. This is the barn on worst financial performance in our airport's history. And if I'm right, I think it's the only cash loss that we've ever produced in the 20 years we've managed the facility on the airport's behalf. So again, not unexpected, but that that is the reality of certainly where the finance uh, statements hold us. So there's a couple of things that happened there to drive that. and. I always say 2022, you know how the Chinese New Year's got year of the rat, et cetera. Was, for us, it was like the year of the $50 turkey. So all those things that we contended with as citizens and consumers, the airport faced all those rising cost inputs, utilities, raw labor, raw supplies, the cost to borrow, the cost to finance, supply chain bottlenecks, labor shortages. So we had <laughs> paint a grim picture, but those were all the, the influencing factors. And one of the things that the airport's done in my view fairly well is that you know we have 12 13 million dollars in the bank that is set aside for long-term capital so if anyone's got a portfolio and looked at what happened last year we we had a a million dollar loss in the valuation of it and there was really nowhere to hide any kind of money that you're putting aside for long-term capital short of stuff and 12 million dollars under the uh, under the mattress i mean you you lose money it's a long game typically over the last decade i think the portfolio has been pretty dynamite. It produces between 6.5 and 6.8% a year on an annualized. If I got that personally, I'd be more than happy. But of course, it all went south this year. So it will recover. It's a paper loss that we hope doesn't become an accounting loss, but it, it is one of the big things that really impacts 
uh, that performance that performance so I, I i'm proud of what we've done as an airport to try to insulate ourselves from all the wild swings that the aviation industry goes through and the pandemic is just probably the most notable example so we really true try to get a lot of revenue eggs and a lot of revenue baskets and for example our, our what i'll call our real estate portfolio our leaseholds and our renting really does provide a solid solid basis for us but at days in we are an airport and airports need two things to survive one is passengers and the other is airplanes and they were both in short supply in 2022 most all markets that we serve are still only two-thirds recovered at this time of, of, of our annual report being released. So we can't we can't weather a 40% drop in revenue. And as much as we were happy to be able to save three quarters of a million dollars with pandemic era uh, cost constraint, you can't save your way to profitability either. It just doesn't work like that. We need the right combination of cost containment and revenue growth to get back where we need to be. So uh, that's, that's probably from a, a very high level, come on, Ida. <laughs> um, where we sat in terms of financial performance, which is one small metric and what it means to operate an airport on behalf of the community. I think one of the major talking points and it also informed our, our traffic performance was air service and regional connectivity. I think it's all any of us have talked about over the last couple of years. And there's a clear divide between how air service and passenger traffic is recovering in urban markets and in smaller regional markets like ours. So I knew right from the get-go in those first days when we were all wondering what was going to go on, that on the other side of this, um, we would be among the last dogs to the bull of recovery. So the airlines came out of the pandemic badly indebted, and they had to jettison a lot of staff um, to survive the period. So they have fewer resources, their employees are newer, there's not enough talent for the cockpit. And as a result, to achieve economies of scale, they are flying bigger airplanes between bigger cities at less frequency to maximize their pilot hours. So that has meant difficult things for small markets like ours. There's no other way to paint it. Now, that is fast improving, um, but that is one of the big things that we really struggle with over the last couple of years. I share every stakeholder's frustration with the off-peak schedule. It is tough. It is tough to get around. It lacks connectivity. And uh, we've leaned in with the chamber, with the destination marketing organization, with HNL, with the province, whatever partners we could surmise, we've been banging away at that for the last couple of years. But it's a hard time to grow. And some of the airline constraints that they're citing are very real. So it's, uh, it's tough. Um, we did have a new Montreal service that was seasonal service introduced last year, which was really well subscribed. We were really happy with that. Um, but if you look at the rest of it, Sunwing didn't operate to the Caribbean last year because the federal government still had restrictions. Only 18 air airports could actually accommodate international passengers, and we weren't among them. So that got shuttered. Uh, WestJet came in and offered a reduced seasonal schedule to Halifax, but anyone who's followed the news at all knows that, you know, late fall, they were, they had a major withdrawal of service from Atlantic Canada and Eastern Canada. They are retrenching in Western Canada, focusing on that. and. WestJet had a very important moderating impact on airfares by having competition in the market. So it's disappointing. I don't know. The landscape has changed a lot. And now you're seeing some airline consolidation, which may or may not help small markets. So tough times all over with that. And make no mistake, I'm not making excuses. I'm just trying to provide some context as to why the airport authorities partners haven't been able to deliver everything that we want right now. We do want a schedule 
that works for the needs and wants of central Newfoundland and for visitors to our region. But it's taken time. It's taken time. So while things are improving for regional airports like Gander International, uh, as he just put it, that's Reg Wright, the uh, CEO of Gander International Airport Authority, it is taking time. And he outlined some of the um, challenges that they're facing in, uh, in the pandemic recovery. Well, some sad news today. I don't know if, well... Claudette, I know you're here nine to five, so you don't get a chance to watch very much daytime TV, but have you in the past? So years ago, more or less as a child, believe it or not, I had all of these particular soaps that I watched religiously, and my mom did too, and that included General Hospital. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, General Hospital is one I never watched. Oh, um, when I used world? to do early morning shifts yeah. here uh, on the old Hits FM, I used to do the morning news for them. I go home and I watch a little bit of the soaps and that and so i used to watch guiding light and uh another world maybe another is that the world one with, uh, was one of my favorites kelly ripa on it oh gosh she was in the soaps oh, was she oh yes yes she I'm and have her to hubby Google that yeah now you know we're going back a little ways uh, uh, now yeah, but anyway um uh guiding uh, sorry uh general hospital of course huge here in newfoundland and labrador still to this day i think that's the one my mother-in-law watches all the time well one of daytime tv's most recognizable actors has died of cancer at the age of 70 jacqueline zeman played nurse bobby spencer on abc's general hospital for 45 years and you know a lot of these actors who are involved in the soaps are there forever oh i've noticed i bet you if we were to especially days of our lives you were to riddle off some of the characters um some of them you can tell that they they have age especially with the bigger televisions and the smart tvs or they've, or they've, or they've, they've tightened got up worked, a little bit work yeah, done but bit. very impressive because that's a hard industry to be in to it age is. well you know there's a lot of ageism in in entertainment so i mean good for them for being able to i mean she she started basically when i was three years old <laughs> and soaps like those really close headshots too yes they yeah. do uh, but I know um, my mother-in-law watching General Hospital uh-huh. um, when I was uh, working from home during the pandemic and she was there she'd have it on and I'd be passing by you know on the way from <laughs> uh, plugging in my machine yeah. into the dining room where I was broadcasting from I say my goodness gracious he's still on there yes you, you know you even or recognize the character yeah, still yeah wicked wicked um, and I remember the one that I remember growing up and this I was just you know this big. Really small. Little, yeah. little, 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 little. But the one mom used to watch all at the time was The Edge of Night. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. The Edge of Night. Yeah. That was like way back. And I'm sure some of our listeners go, oh my goodness, <laughs> Linda, what are you admitting to here I, I now? I thought today? going way back was admitting that we both saw another world where that's not on the go anymore. <laughs> right? Isn't it? I had no idea. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, sad news for uh, General Hospital fans, no doubt. Uh, Bobby Spencer, the actress who played Bobby Spencer, has passed away at the age of 70. Well, that's all for us for today. I want to thank everybody for listening. We'll be back tomorrow, and uh, we'll uh, chat then.